This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. That was the opening line to Escape, radio's leading anthology series in high-adventure radio dramas that aired on CBS from July 7th of 1947 to September 25th of 1954. Now, in the golden days of radio, back in the 30s through the 50s, most popular radio series had a set time for going out each week. Occasionally, there might be a change in the schedule, but on the whole, a consistent time slot was something that helped build a large audience, and so was something the big networks aimed to achieve. One exception to this rule was the dramatic adventure anthology series Escape, whose time slot shifted an incredible 18 times in its seven-year run. Now, to make matters even worse... It had a habit of coming and going and sometimes disappearing off the schedules altogether at short notice for weeks on end, only to resurface weeks later in a completely different time slot. The quite flagrant disregard CBS paid to having a regular time slot for escape could make you think that it was, well, just a run-of-the-mill series. It was nothing but a lightweight filler for those times. But really, this couldn't be further from the truth. Escape is probably the best adventure anthology ever broadcast. Escape brings together everything that was good about old-time radio drama rolled into one. The title itself almost sums up the very essence of what radio drama is all about. Each of the episodes was a micro-drama carefully planned to escape and capture the listener's attention for 30 minutes. Music was supplied by Del Castillo, and the announcers were Paul Fries and Roy Rowan. Tonight, we'll hear the story of a man in the Arizona desert who runs into a dangerous situation while searching for lost treasure. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are standing in a lonely canyon in the shadows of Superstition Mountain. While facing you, tempers ragged, guns drawn, are three men who at your first move toward hidden treasure will kill you. Today, with Paul Dubov, starred as Pascal, we escape to the Arizona desert and a lost treasure of a million dollars as Ralph Bates told it in his most unusual story, When the Man Comes, Follow Him. I was wrong. 
I know that now. But what good's it do? How could you tell dead men that it's all your fault and you're sorry? No matter what you tell them, they're still dead. So what's the use? It never would have happened if we hadn't got mixed up in this superstition business. We was going along fine. All the other boys in Res Frisco respected us. Stayed out of our territory, at least most of the time. That was on account of the boss, Mr. Heineman. He was too smart for him, and they knew it. Smart, and a great guy along with it. Of course, some people might call him an ordinary racketeer, but he wasn't like that. Nobody could have treated me no better. And he was cultured, too. Loved music. Played a violin almost as good as this fellow, uh, Heifetz, or whatever his name is. Why, one time he sent me clear to New York to pick up a Stradivarius he'd heard about. And I had to hang around the dealer's store for two weeks before I got a chance to lift it. He wouldn't have trusted a job like that to any of the rest of the boys. He trusted me more than any of them. Me, Pascal. That's how come I feel so bad about what's happened. Because he trusted me. And he had to trust somebody, you understand. Because for 15 years, the boss had been stone blind. Come on, Pascal. Eyes, man. Give me eyes. But it's foggy down there, boss. I can't see the bay at all, just the end of the bridge. And out toward the Golden Gate, there's nothing but just fog. I guess it's going to rain. What about the street below us, Pascal? What's going on down there? Nothing. Just streetcars and taxis going up and down and a few people. Not very many. I tell you, boss, there's nothing doing at all. It's a very dull day. All right, forget it. You can come away from the window. Why don't you play the violin a while? No, not today. I'm too restless. Something is going to happen, I think. Happen? What's going to happen? I don't know. Something. Are any of the boys here? Brian and Daly in the next apartment playing gin rummy. You want I should call them? No. I wonder if you know what it's like, Pascal, to live always in pitch darkness, depending on somebody else to tell you what's going on around you. Ah, forget it, boss. You got me. I'm the eyes, you're the brain. We're doing all right. Maybe, only sometimes I wonder... I'll get it, boss. I'll get it. Mr. Heinemann's apartment. Who? Well, I'm not sure whether Mr. Heinemann... Who is it? Oh, I see. All right, thanks. That was the manager. Your brother's here from Phoenix. Mark? He's yeah. downstairs? Yeah. He's on his way up. The manager couldn't stop him. He says he looks like he's in pretty bad shape. Ever see a desert rat that didn't? No. Well, so I'm to be honored by a visit from my sanctimonious brother. I wonder what he wants. Oh, money as usual. Three or four hundred dollars to finance another six months of prospecting, and he'll repay it by telling me what an evil man I am. I wouldn't give it to him, boss. Why not? As long as it keeps him over there on the Arizona desert, or most of the year, I can stand one or two visits from him. You can hear the elevator stopping. Better open the door. I still say you ought to crack down on him. Open the door. Uh, hello, Mark. Help Come in. Me. Boss, he's heard of something. Help me. What is it? Eyes, Pascal. Quick. Hasn't shaved for four or five days. He's weak, Help trembling. Me. Holding on to the door frame with his right hand, holding his chest with the other hand. I think he's been shot, boss. Yes. Shot. Come here. Help Get me. Him inside. Take it easy. Take it easy. Yeah. Here, come on. Come on. Uh, Over on the couch. Okay. Uh, come on. Here we are, boss. Uh, easy now. Uh, there. What happened, Mark? I had to get here. I want you to have it. So he can't. He's out of his head. Get Brian and Daly over here. Brian knows what? a lot about gunshot wounds. All right, boss. You... What happened, Mark? Who shot you? Shot. Connect me with 907. Had to come get on, here. Come on, come on. Hello, Brian. All the glitters. Come over here right away. All the fools. Oh, fools. Treasures of kings and princes. Die. Mark, you've got to get hold of yourself. Die. Die. Had to get here. 
You get it instead of him. Watch out for him. Oh, Mark. Map. Old map and new map. He doesn't even make sense. Look. Look. Eyes, Pascal, what's he doing? He's raised up a little. He's pointing with his finger at the carpet about four feet away. When you get there, watch for it. When the man comes, follow him. Understand? Sure, Mark. When the man comes, follow him. Yes. When the man comes, follow him. What's he mean? I don't know. Follow him. What's up, boss? Pascal said you wanted me. Come in, Brian. This is my brother. He's been shot. See what you can do for him. Yeah. Let's have a look. I've got to think. I've got to think. What could he possibly have stumbled into? Yeah, this happened a couple of days ago at least. Should have had a doctor right away. He wanted to get here for some reason. But why? It's Daly, boss. Hey, what's coming off in here? You're not cooking up something and leaving little Daly out of it. Ain't I in this, Mom? Stop your barking, Daly, before I throw you a can of Strongheart. Don't get so smart now, Pascal. I got as much right to talk around here as you have. I said shut up. Boss's brother is here. He's been shot. He's in bad shape. Yeah. You're not kidding, Pascal. Matter of fact, he's about in as bad shape as he'll ever be. Boss, he's dead. That was the start of the thing. When a doc came, he said Mark should have died 24 hours earlier. Said he stayed alive long enough to get the Frisco on sheer nerve, nothing else. Mr. Heinemann, he don't say much. He let the doctor take charge of everything. There was a wallet and some other stuff in Mark's pockets. Mr. Heinemann, he took it with him and went into his own room and stayed there. After a while, the other boys drifted back to their rummy game, and finally, about 10 o'clock, I went to bed. At 2 in the morning, I woke up to find Heinemann shaking my arm. Pascal, can huh? you hear me? Uh, uh, Pascal, come on, come on, wake up. Uh, 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 okay, boss. Uh, I'm awake. What's the matter? I've been thinking. Got some ideas I'd like to talk about. All right, I'm listening. It's about Mark, the things he said. They begin to make sense. Oh, maybe to you, but not to me. Look, is this what I think it is? Oh, wait a minute, boss. Let me give it some light. Oh. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a map of a mountain range, I think. There's a lot of wavy lines like they use for valleys and ridges. There's some faded writing on it, brown ink. I think it's pretty old. 60 or 70 years at least, uh. judging by the feel of the paper. Go on, Pascal. Describe it to me. Well, what looks like a road runs across the bottom along the base of the mountains. And there's a spot on it marked Red Hill. And there's a wavy line starts there and runs about uh, halfway up the map. It runs past some dots marked Three Trees. And off on one side is a little drawing of a shovel with a broken handle. And it ends at another spot marked uh, Camp. It's probably a trail. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, well, a camp is beside a line that looks like the edge of a ridge or a cliff. And, and there's some writing that says, If no answer... Go down. Hmm. If no answer, go down. What else? Well, about a third of the way to the left from the camp, there's an X marked, and it says, Man lives here. Up toward the top, there's another X. That's marked uh, Thunder Peak. And at the very top, there's the word superstition. I guess that's about all. Good. Later, I'll have you take my finger and trace over the whole thing until I know it by heart. But this is enough to start on. To start what on? A search for whatever caused my brother's death. Something rather valuable, if my thinking is correct. All right. Only, uh, how do we go about finding it? Mark told us how. When the man comes, follow him. You know what it means? Not yet. Well, if the map's 60 years old or more, how do you figure this guy's going to be there? Because my brother found him and followed him and then died for it. We're going to follow him, too. You and I and Bryant and Daly. We're going to Phoenix. Boss, uh... 
I think maybe it's a kind of mistake to take Daly along. Why? Well, because he's a double-crosser. That's why I've been trying to tell you you can't trust him. Don't worry. I can handle him. He's not the one who has to be watched. Then who is? Bryant? Let's leave it for now. Call the ticket office and get four reservations on the next plane out. I've got the feeling we'd better move fast. By the next afternoon, we checked into the Hotel Westwood Ho in Phoenix and started trying to get a line on Mark Heinemann's recent activities. After two days, we still didn't have much to go on. He'd apparently hooked up with some new partner about six months before and gone into the desert. No one had seen anything of him since. An old man who ran a hardware store where Mark had bought tools and supplies finally gave us the tip-off without knowing it. You see, Mr. Heinemann, your brother was one of the fellows around here who believed in the legend of the lost Dutchman mine. I figure that's what he was really prospecting for. But what is the lost Dutchman mine? Well, it's supposed to be a deposit of gold. Richer than any that's ever been found. A real treasure of kings. Treasure of kings? Boss, that's what he said. Quiet, Pascal. Uh, okay, okay. According to the stories, there's supposed to be a map in existence uh, somewhere showing the exact location of the mine drawn by the Dutchman himself. Uh, during the last 50 years or so, a lot of prospectors have gone back into the superstitions looking for it, but none what of them... What do you mean by superstitions? Uh, superstition mountains out on the desert east of town. That's where the mine's supposed to be located. Why are they called superstitions? Yes, because so many fellows have gone up into them and never come back. There's supposed to be an Apache curse on anybody goes in there. The range used to be sacred to the Indian god of thunder. I see. And why do you think these men never came back? Heat, thirst, got lost, snake bite. Oh, it's awful rough country, and there's no water. Then, too, there, there, there might be a kind of curse on the place at that. The double cross. Meaning? Well, blazing sun and a lust for gold can be a bad combination on a man's nerves. A lot of partners have come back out of those hills alone. Double cross, huh? Yeah. At least that's one curse that isn't limited to the superstitions. You'll find it in a lot of places. Well, we'd better go. Many thanks for your information. Well, not at all, Mr. Heinemann. Sorry, I couldn't be of more help. So that's what Mark found, a gold mine. A rich one, maybe? It must be. Mark was dying and he knew it, and yet all he talked about was treasure of kings. Gold, in other words. He didn't even tell us who shot him. Maybe his partner did it. Maybe. Pascal. Yeah? I want you to buy a pair of binoculars and rent a car. Uh-huh. We're going to drive out and try to locate that red hill this afternoon. All right, boss. The one thing we've got to watch out for is that curse. That's what happened to Mark. Yeah, it's only an Indian superstition. I'm talking about the double cross. Mark wasn't the first man to die from it, and I don't think he'll be the last. Here, Pascal, let me take your arm. I rented a Nash sedan from the garage at the hotel, and we headed out across the desert east of town. It was late afternoon before we finally found it. The only red hill on the east slope of the superstitions. Mr. Heinemann told me to take the binoculars and try to locate the three trees that were marked on the map. I left the car, worked my way around the far side of the hill and almost to the top before I could see the trees standing close together on the shoulder of the ridge about six miles away. Just the way they were shown on Mark Heinemann's map. I stared up at the pale blue peaks in the distance, watched the lightning flashes from near the tops of them and shivered a little. Finally, I turned and started back to the road. Dusk had fallen fast like a dozen in the desert. And it was nearly dark when I reached the car and opened the door. 
Mr. Heinemann was slumped over in the seat with blood running from a cut in his forehead. He was unconscious. In just a moment, we will return to Escape. But first, Ozzie and Harriet are back on CBS, coming to you on most of these same stations every Sunday evening, just before the Jack Benny Show. You'll find them more delightful, more welcome than ever. Ozzie and Harriet's own two boys, Ricky and David, are now playing themselves in the CBS series. So make it a family party with Ozzie and Harriet tomorrow night. And now with our star, Paul Duvov as Pascal, and with Herb Butterfield as Mr. Heineman, we return to the second act of Escape and... When the man comes, follow him. Boss. Boss, come on, I'll wake up. You're not hurt bad. It's only a little cut in your scalp. Come on, come on, boss. Come on, Pascal. Yeah, 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 it's me. I'm here with you now. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Pascal. Did you see him? No, no, I didn't see anybody. Who was it? What happened? A man. Talked to the Texas draw, wearing heavy boots with hobnails. Uh-huh. Came up on the side of the car next to the hill and poked a gun in my face. He knew who I was and that I was blind. He wanted the map. Did he get it? No. I put it under the floor mat Good. I heard him coming. Good. Tried to grab his gun. He slugged me. Started going through my pockets. Uh-huh. Ran off in the rocks when he heard you coming. Well, it's dark up there now. No good trying to follow him. Well, never mind. I know who he is. Oh, did he tell you? No, but it fits together. Mark had a partner. This guy? Sure. Who else could he be? Then this is the guy who shot Mark. I think so. I imagine there was a double cross and he got even, but... Wait. No, of course not. What's the matter, boss? Oh, what a fool I've been. What do you mean? I had it figured all along that Mark double-crossed his partner and got shot for it. It was the other way around. Oh. It was Mark's map. And this partner doesn't know the secret of it. Uh-huh. He probably knows where the man lives, but ten to one he doesn't know about following him. Pascal. Yeah, boss? Get the car started and head back for the hotel. We've got to get an outfit together and start up that trail tomorrow morning. There's no time to lose. Let's go. At nine o'clock the next morning, the four of us passed the Red Hill and started up the rocky trail that led toward the far-off heights of Thunder Peak. Brian and Daly each led two mules loaded with food and kegs of water, and I took care of Mr. Heineman. It was already hot, even at that time of morning, and boy, it got hotter. The line drawn on the map followed the crest of a ridge, but there wasn't really any trail. We wound around through tumbled masses of rocks and boulders, climbed over cliffs and gullies, and stumbled across crumbling slopes of debris that slid away beneath our feet and crashed down into the ravine. By noon, we were stopping to rest every ten minutes. Even the rest didn't do no good, because there wasn't any shade. By late afternoon, we'd covered only six miles, and we were done in. None of us had known how hot a desert sun could get. We were ready to turn back or fight one another at the least excuse. Come on. Move, you four-legged devil. It's no worse for you than it is for me. (laughs) What's the matter, Daly? Your tongue's hanging out. Let it hang. When I get back to Frisco, I never want to see the sun again. Uh, It's good for you. Nuts. It'll give you a tan. Get rid of that fish belly San Quentin complexion of yours. How would you like to have a bullet in the stomach, Pascal? Go ahead and draw if you feel lucky. Pascal, Daly, that's enough now. Yeah. Cut it out. Now, Pascal started. I don't care who started. That's enough. We're too close to a million dollars worth of gold to have the whole thing loused up because somebody lost his temper. You said a million dollars? That's right, Brian. 
According to the story, that's how much the Dutchman is supposed to have dug out of the mine and hidden before he was killed by Apaches without ever getting back to bring it out. A million dollars. Boy, what a man could do with a million dollars. Not a million daily. Only 5% of a million. That's the amount of your share, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I know. I, I, I was just thinking. Hey, look. Right ahead of us. We couldn't see him on account of the ridge. Trees! Three trees! Oh, boy, a little shade of sugar. Sure What's wrong? Eyes, Pascal, what is it? The trees, boss. The ones marked on the map. Only they're dead. Been dead for years, they look like. Yeah. There's not a square foot of shade under all three of them. Well, uh, can't be helped. At least it means we're on the right trail. Well, it's still the easiest way I know to get a million dollars. Let's push on. Two hours later, we came across a shovel with a broken handle stuck on the top of a pile of rocks, so we knew we were still heading in the right direction. The shovel had been drawn on the map. We stopped there for the night. A while after dark, the boss heard somebody in the rocks, so we put out the fire we'd built and took turns standing guard. And later, when the moon was up, I thought I saw something moving a short way off, but I couldn't be sure. Yeah, it was a creepy feeling, thinking I was being watched, not seeing anybody. All night long, I could see the flares of lightning and hear the low thunder from the top of the shadowy peak ahead of us. Was I glad when dawn finally came and we hit that trail again. But two hours later, I was wishing for sundown again. It was even hotter than the day before. And on top of it, all of us were so stiff and sore we could hardly move. We cursed and sweated and stumbled through the long, blazing day. Finally, at dusk, we reached the spot marked Camp on the map. It was close to the edge of a straight-walled cliff that yawned over a deep box canyon below. There were signs of campfires and burrow tracks. This place had been used before. Yeah, we were too tired to care. Not even bothering to unsaddle the mules, we drank from one of the kegs and dropped down in the shade of a rock ledge. Not able to move any further. After about an hour, the sun slipped behind the ridges to the west and left us in a shadow. The boss got us onto our feet, put Brian to search for something to use for a fire, and told Daly to unpack the mules. He took me with him to scout along the rim of the cliff and try to find out what was meant by the words on the map. If no answer, go down. After half an hour, we found nothing. And we were ready to decide there was no way to go down that thousand-foot rock wall when suddenly... Oh, Pascal, that was a shot. You see anything? No, no, it was back toward camp, but there's a ridge between us. I can't see a sign of any... Come on, Pascal. Yeah, take hold of my arm. Okay. Let's get back there fast. Who is it? Come on, come on, speak up or I'll shoot. Relax, Brian. It's us. That's Pascal and the boss. Did you see anybody? No. What happened? Ah, uh, somebody took a shot at Daly. He got all spooked up and fired off half a clip. It was that guy that's been following us, boss. I saw him there in the rocks not more than 100 feet away. And you missed him, I suppose. Well, it was dark. Hey, what happened to the mules? They're gone. Yeah, they stampeded when Daly fired off that gun in there. That's great. We'll have a fine time packing five kegs of water and all the supplies on our backs. Yeah, well... Boss, we don't have five kegs of water. There's only one here. What? I hadn't unpacked the mules yet, boss. I, I, I was going as soon as it got a little cooler. You fool, you stupid, lazy, blundering fool. That's what I've been telling you, boss. All the brains this dope's got... You shut up, Pascal. One more crack. It's a hot meal. Daily, I could kill you and love it. I could stand here and pump bullets into you and love it. 
Do you know how long a man can live up here without water? 24 hours at the most. But we still got five gallons of water. I didn't know they were going to run off. How could oh, I... shut up. It's done. That's that. We'll see if there's any chance of finding them. And try to keep from getting yourself shot. I go with him, Brian. Okay, boss. Come on, smart boy. If you don't yeah. find them in 20 minutes, come on back. Five gallons of water for four men. It'll take us a full day to get down into that canyon and find the spot where the man lives. Another day to get back here, if we're lucky. And two more days back to the road. I guess we can just barely make it. There's only one thing, boss. There's no way to get down into that canyon. I think I've got the answer there. At least that's one thing that shooting did. Listen. Hello! Hello! Sure. It's an echo. If no answer, go down. Yeah. I think we'll find a spot someplace along the rim of that cliff where there's no echo. When we do... I think there'll be some way to get down to the bottom. We'll try it in the morning. And uh, one other thing, Pascal, before they come back. Yeah, boss? From here on, keep an eye on Bryant. I think that gold is beginning to look pretty big to him. I I think maybe you're making a mistake. I think Daly's a lot more to, likely to try something. He's a born double-crosser. No. His... He's a fool and a coward. But Bryant's the one who's dangerous. You do as I tell you. Watch out for him. Do you understand? All right. Sure, boss. Whatever you say. An hour after dawn the next morning, we found a spot on the edge of the cliffs where there was no echo. Slanting downward from it was a narrow, steep crack in the wall. The four of us took turns packing our one last keg of water and inched our way down toward the canyon floor a thousand feet below. We made it finally, rested, then struck out to the west following the map. Great chunks of rock lay tossed about it, though giants had played there, and thorn and cactus grew everywhere among them. The sunlight curled and blistered on the surface of the boulders, and always from above us and nearer now came the sullen and ominous roll of thunder. At noon, we stumbled across the bed of the ravine, nearly missing it from being half-blinded by the heat. And three hours later, we found the place where the man lives. It was marked by a monument built of broken rocks stacked up higher than our heads. Mr. Heinemann felt all over the surface of it with his hands and then told us he knew the meaning of the words, When the man comes, follow him. But he said it wasn't time yet. We'd have to wait. We sat there by the pile of stones, not talking much. Just waiting. Two hours passed. I think it was Daly who noticed it first. Look. Look down on the ground. There's somebody here. He, he's behind us. Hit the dirt! I don't... I don't see any... Uh, so that's it. Boys, I'm a little disappointed in you. Scared by a shadow. Oh, well, Look well, at it. It's a shadow of that pile of rocks. Looks just like a man with a hat on holding a gun. Yeah. The rock pile don't look like a man, but the shadow does. Well, since he's apparently come now, I guess we'd better follow him. Huh? What do you mean, follow him? The sun's going down. The shadow must be getting longer, stretching out over the ground. So get going. Follow the direction it's pointing. Yeah, Pascal will stay here with me and keep you in line. Watch for signs of something buried. Rocks laid over it, a cleared space, something of that kind. We're not more than a few feet from a million dollars. Let's get it. Two of them worked their way along through the rocks while I stood by the monument and waved them toward one side or the other. Part of the time, they were out of sight behind a ledge of boulder. An army could have hidden in that broken mess and never been noticed. I kept describing everything that was happening to the boss. And about 20 minutes went by before I heard Daly shout, We found it! Gold! It's here! We found it! 
He scrambled over a ledge and came running toward us, calling out and holding something in his hand. Then about a hundred feet away from us, he stopped suddenly and drew his gun. Pascal, what is it? What's happening? Daly's pulled a gun on us, boss. Drop it, Daly! Drop it or I'll shoot! No, Pascal! He's in between us, you fool! He's hiding in the rocks! All right, Daly, you asked for it! Pascal, no! I got him, boss! The dirty double-crosser! You fool! He was going to kill us, boss. He was coming at us with a... Wait. Wait, somebody staggered out of the rocks there and fell. Somebody I never saw before. My brother's partner, the man who's been following us. But then Daly killed him and I killed Daly. Boss, I thought Daly was shooting at us. I, I didn't know there was anybody else there. Well, you know now. I told you to keep an eye on Bryant. What's happened to him? Pascal, where's Bryant? Right behind you, sucker. Look out, boss! Lousy shooting, Bryant! I got him, boss. He missed me and I got him. Good. Only he didn't miss me. Boss! No, 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 boss. Pascal... You hear the thunder? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's real loud. That's funny. Same old curse. Double cross. My fault, boss. I should have done like you told me and watched Bryant. A million dollars in gold for somebody else. Don't talk like that. It's for us. For us, for you and me. I'll get you out, boss. You're not really hit bad, you know? Bad. I'm dying. And you too, Pascal. What? You're going to die too. What? What do you mean? The water keg. Bryant's bullet smashed it. I heard the water running out. Huh? No. 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 Am I right? Uh, yeah. It's all gone. It's three days out to the highway, Pascal. You don't have any water. You poor devil. You don't have one single drop of water. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today, we have presented Transcribed, When the Man Comes, Follow Him, by Ralph Bates. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Pascal was Paul Dubov, with Herb Butterfield as Mr. Heineman. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Jeff Corey, Barney Phillips, and Junius Matthews. Special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, you are standing on the rolling deck of a pirate junk in the China Seas. And facing you is the sinister figure of the most feared man in the Orient. A general who has just doomed you to death. Next week, we escape with an unusual story, The General Died at Dawn by Charles Booth. Be sure to tune in at the same time next week when, once again, we offer you Escape. Stay tuned for Father Knows Best next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young and Jane Wyatt and the show first broadcast in 1950. Mother, is Maxwell House really the only coffee in the world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed at Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons. Brought to you by America's favorite coffee, Maxwell House. 
the coffee that's always good to the last drop. Have you heard of the wonderful one-horse shay that was built in such a logical way it ran a hundred years to a day? And then of a sudden it... Ah, but stay. I'll tell you what happened without delay. Well, of course, it hasn't been a hundred years since the Andersons bought their car, but you get the general idea. In Springfield in the driveway beside the white frame house on Maple Street, the Anderson chariot is getting quite a going over, like this. I don't care what you say, Father. It is a wreck, and you know it. Is that so? For your information, Betty, they don't build cars like this anymore. They don't build covered wagons, either. What was that? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, nothing, Dad. Uh, I was just thinking. He said they didn't build covered wagons, either. Oh, he did, did he? Okay, Kathy, just you wait. But if you find the car so objectionable, we can arrange for you not to be annoyed with it any longer on Thursday night. Oh, I didn't mean that, Dad. I I think it's fine. Well, I don't. I don't even want to borrow it anymore. Good. I'll keep that in mind. Look at it. The paint all worn off, the upholstery all faded. You know, that's the trouble with you kids. You don't look beneath the surface. That's where your value is. Do you know there's 30% more metal in this car than in any 1950 model on the road? There is, huh? There certainly is. Now, you see this body panel? It's a little banged up, I admit that. But listen to it. That's solid. <laughs> That's good, honest metal. Dad. Cars today aren't built that way. None of them. They sound tinny and cheap. Dad. Have you seen the fenders they're putting on the new cars just like paper mache? Dad. But on this car? Well, listen to this. But <laughs> Gosh, Dad, I was trying to tell you. I don't know. Why do things like this always happen to me? Daddy, why did you not send her off the car? Kathy, you'd better be quiet if you know what's good for you. Jim, I'm ready to leave any time you are. That's fine, Margaret, just fine. But you'll find a basket with lunch on the kitchen table, so why don't you... Jim, what on earth did you do to the car? I didn't do anything to the car, Margaret. Daddy knocked the fender off. I did no such thing. All I did was give it one or two little taps. Jim, Mr. Gilhausen said it wasn't going to last. Mr. Gilhausen, that crook, he doesn't know any more about fixing a car than... than Kathy does. I didn't do anything. Charges me $7.80 to put a fender back on. And doesn't even use a good grade of scotch tape. You want me to get the sandwiches, Mom? Yes. Leave the sandwiches alone, bud. We can't go to a church picnic or any place else until we get the car fixed. We can put the fender on with wire, Dad. It didn't look too bad the last time. All right, go get the wire. I think there's a whole bunch of it in the garage. Mr. Gilhausen. A fine mechanic he turned out to be. Father. He's a butcher, that's what he is. Anybody who can't put a fender on so it stays put. Father, may I please have the tickets for the picnic? You certainly may not. But, Father, Mr. Liggett said I could ride with them. Oh, he did, did he? And we'll be there hours before You're you. You're going with us or you aren't going at all? But, Father... Hurry up, bud. I can't. Kathy got the wire all tangled up. Oh, I did not. 
There's a roll on top of the workbench, bud. Bring that. Okay. Father, I certainly think... Betty, you're going in our car or you aren't going. Now, that's final. Oh, please. <laughs> Don't you think you're being a little severe? Betty wants to spend more time with Janie Lizard, that's all. It isn't that she's ashamed to be seen in our car, is it, Betty? It certainly is. <laughs> that old heat. And you see, Margaret, she's ashamed of it. She's too good to ride in our car. I'm not too good, but that isn't even a car. Just a bunch of old bolts held together with bobby pins. Here's the wire, Dad. Betty, that car is good enough for me. And if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for my family. Is that clear? Here's the wire, Dad. And anytime you think that you're better than the rest of us, well, we'll just do something about it. And let's not forget it. Here's the wire, Dad. I heard you, bud. Gosh, how did I know? Sounds like your needle was stuck. <laughs> Here's the wire, Dad. Here's the wire, Dad. Daddy! Kathy, be quiet. He wears... Bud, I'll hold the fender in place and you wire it together. Okay, Dad. Jim, I know what Betty had in mind. She was only thinking of our good. Weren't you, Betty? Hmm? Oh, sure. They're going to have a drawing for a new car, and someone isn't there. Someone will be there, Margaret. We'll all be there. Not that we'd ever be lucky enough to win a new car. Hold the sun up a little higher, Dad. How's that? Okay. I've been going to church picnics since I was four years old, and the only people who ever win new cars are old ladies of 90 who wouldn't be caught dead with anything but a horse and buggy. <laughs> Father, if they pick our number and we aren't there... We'll be there. Now stop worrying about it. How's it going, bud? I think it's almost finished. Betty, go in and get the lunch. All right, Father. And lock the door on the way out. Yes, Father. I think that's as good as I can do, Dad. Hmm. Well, it seems firm enough. I wouldn't lean on it too hard. It's all rusted away on the inside. Well, it'll certainly last until we get home. And believe me, I'll give that Gilhausen character a piece of my mind tomorrow morning. Hurry up, Betty. We're ready to leave. Be right there. I'll get the motor warmed up while we're waiting. Want me to do it, Dad? No, I'm perfectly capable of starting my own car. <laughs> now what's gotten into this miserable wreck? Bang on the dashboard, Dad. Sometimes that does it. I did bang on the dashboard. The cold, that's all. Is this all of it, Mother? Yes, dear, thank you. No good. Jim? Bud, uh, jump up and down on the bumper a few times. Okay. What's wrong with the car? It won't start again. Be quiet, Captain, please. Well, it won't, will it? Quiet now, Dad. Bud? Yes, Dad? Jiggle the wire on the distributor. Okay. I never saw it to fail. The car runs like a dream, except when you need it. Oh, Mother, there's Janie Liggett. What am I going to tell them? Well, you just have to tell them. Betty? Yes, Father? What time is the drawing for the new car? I don't know, Father, but if we aren't there... Don't worry, we'll be there, but uh, just in case it takes us a while to get started, well, uh, here... You take the tickets and go ahead with the ligand. Oh, Father. If we should happen to win the car, you... Uh, well, go ahead. We'll meet you out there. I'm coming. Goodbye, everybody. See you later. Betty. Be careful, Betty. Daddy. Yes, Kathy? I don't mind riding in your car. 
Thank you, Kathy. I'm brave. <laughs> hey, Dad. What is it, bud? There's a pencil stuck in the distributor. I know, that's to keep the wire in. Well, the pencil's in, but the wire's off. <laughs> bud, fixed it. That's why it won't start. Okay. I knew it wasn't anything important, just a loose wire, that's all. It's all set, Dad. Okay. Stand back, I'll try it again. Yeah, see? All right, everybody, let's go. Put the hood down, bud. Okay. Let it down easy so it won't shake the pencil loose. Okay. <laughs> Come on, Margaret, what are you and Kathy waiting for? Daddy. What is it, Kathy? We've got a flat tire. Oh, no. Ridiculous thing I've ever seen. There must be some way of keeping that fender on. We'll be there in a minute, dear, and then you can fix it properly. What do you mean, properly? How can you fix a fender properly with those silly hunks of wire? It isn't the wire that's breaking, Dad. Pieces are coming out of the fender. <laughs> it only fell off three times. I know how many times it fell off. I know what's the matter with it. I don't know how to fix it, that's all. Daddy, there's a fishnet. Where? Right over there. Dad, look out. What? There's a bump. There it goes again. That makes four times. <laughs> oh. Jim? Fiddlesticks. Kathy, why don't you run ahead and find Betty? Okay, Mommy. I'll see if anybody knows who won the car. Come on, bud. Let's take another whack at it. I don't think it's going to do much good, Dad. Look at the holes in it. Idiotic-looking contraption. Dad, I think I know how we can do it. If we can get some long pieces of wire, we can... No, that won't work. What won't work? I thought we could run the wire under the car and over the hood and tie it on that way. <laughs> Bud, that won't work. Well, that's what I said. No good fender. Daddy, no Daddy, good moth-eaten, lopsided, pot-bellied... Kathy, Daddy, what is it? Daddy, we won! We what? Yeah. Kathy, are, are you sure? I just saw Daddy, and they called our number, and we won! Jim, how wonderful! Well, Bud... Boy, oh boy! Bud? Would you care to join me? What are you going to do, Dad? I'm going to show this no-good, misguided fender just where it gets off. And that's right here. Turn it over, bud. Like that? That's it. Now, watch. I guess that'll show it. Can I jump on it too, Daddy? Sure, go right ahead. You too, bud. Have a good time. Move over, will you, Kathy? Jim, isn't it wonderful? It certainly is. I wonder what color it is. If that isn't just like a woman, I suppose if you don't like the color, we'll have to give it back. Oh, no, but I just thought it... Father, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it simply lush? It certainly is. Where is it? Father, what are they doing? Never mind them. Where is it? But, Father, they're ruining the fender. Who cares about an old fender? We want a new car, didn't we? Oh, Father, No. We want a ham. 
Automobile people are a cheerful lot. The smiling Irishman, the laughing Lithuanian, they're a gay group of fellows with lilting hearts and names to match. In Springfield, it's Fred Haney, the happy Hibernian. And that's where the Andersons are headed, like this. Father. What is it, Betty? Don't you think it's about time we gave up on this old heap? Betty, please don't annoy your father. Oh, jumping creepers. It's all right, Margaret. I'm used to being ridiculed. After all, I'm only her father. Everybody has to get so personal about everything. Why is it such an insult if I think we need a new car? Betty, this is more than a car. This is an old friend which has served us faithfully and well. And you don't give up an old friend just because it's a little droopy in the fender. You treat it gently, humor it, restore it to health. The best thing you can do for this friend is give it a decent funeral. <laughs> for your information, Betty, this car will be as good as new in less than a week. And it'll be good for another 12 years. Holy cow. <laughs> Golly, the car's even older than I am. It makes more noise, too. Father. What is it, Betty? As long as you insist on having the car fixed up, can we please have it painted? I fully intend to have it painted. A new fender, a new paint job, a few little touches on the motor here and there. We'll have a car you can be proud of. Can we have it painted blue, please? What's the matter with black? But it's always been black, and black is so dark. Well, we'll get a light black. <laughs> I like red. Then you can pretend you're riding in a fire engine. <laughs> You know, Margaret, I should have had this done a long time ago. I had the car fixed up, I mean. When I think of the way I've let it get run down, <laughs> I should have had my head examined. That's all we've been telling you. What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't mean, uh, uh, I mean, uh, well, uh, green's a nice color. Is it? Well, if you like green... <laughs> You know, for a while I thought maybe we'd get a new car. Golly! But then I said, why? Oh. I can have this one fixed up for 50 or $60, so why go to all that unnecessary expense? Uh, did anybody say they'd fix it up for 50 or $60? No, but I'm just figuring conservatively. Maybe it'll only be $40. What a dreamer. Bye. <laughs> I don't know. When I was a boy, children showed a little respect for their parents. They didn't spend half their life... Jim. What is it, Margaret? Isn't that Haney's? I know it's Haney's. I've only been here a million times. Where was I, bud? They didn't spend half their life. <laughs> uh, they didn't spend half their life trying to make up wisecracks about their father. Now, behave yourself. Okay, Dad. Father. I know, Betty. You want it painted blue. Well, I just thought... You want blue. Kathy wants red. Bud wants green. How would it be if we settled for a nice scotch plaid? <laughs> well, hello, Jim. Got the whole family with you this time, huh? Well, that's right. Say, Fred, 
I'd like to see if we can't... We want it painted red. Kathy. And make the horn louder. <laughs> Kathy, get back in the car and sit down. Yes, Daddy. Fred. Father, look. What? That yellow one, isn't it a dream boat? Betty, I'm trying to tell Mr. Haney... Boy, look at that foreign job. Is that something? Margaret. Dear, I know you and Mr. Haney want to talk, so why don't the children and I just wander around and look at the different cars? An excellent idea, Mrs. Anderson. Excellent. Oh, Bud, look at that one. It's got a motorcycle on it. That's for delivery, Dopey. <laughs> <laughs> Mother, have you ever seen anything like that blue one? It's very nice. Well, maybe now we can talk. Don't tell me you're finally going to give up on that wreck. What wreck? <laughs> That's because it looks a little shabby. Why don't you face it, Jim? You'll need a new car. Fred, I'm not spending any $1,600 for a car. Sixteen sixty-three twenty. Pardon me. Including license and tax. I'll take 12 Jim, I've known you for a long time. I value your business. But more than that, I value your friendship. Then tell Gilhausen to fix my car so it'll stay together. He can't, Jim. It's old. It's worn out. You're just throwing good money after bad. Will you please buy a new car? You don't have to buy it from me. Buy it from anybody, but buy it. Are you all finished? Yes. No. <laughs> just tell Gilhausen to fix my car right this time. Of all the stub... Gilhausen. I'm over here, Fred. Come here, will you? Ben Hur is back. Very funny. Holy smoke, Mr. Anderson. I don't have to work on that thing again, do I? No, you don't have to. I know a lot of places that'll be very glad. Uh, just a minute, Jim. If you want it fixed, we'll fix it. Won't we, Gil? We'll fix it or we'll give it either a transfusion. <laughs> Why anybody would want to throw good money into that wreck? Gil? So we fix it. Where's the fender? It got stepped on. It what? It's gone. It fell off. Because you don't know how to put a fender on. I put fenders on before you was born. But not fenders like your fenders. All right. I... All right, Gil. We'll just have to put on a new fender. Okay, Jim? Well, I suppose so. While we're at it, let's do it upright. Let's paint the whole thing. Get the motor tuned up. Fix the lights. Have you got all that, Gil? This time, we're going to fix it right. Well, that's more like it. So, we start with the fender. Look, you see this big hole in the panel? Yes. That's where I got to bolt the fender. On a hole. <laughs> so, we need a new panel. A uh, new panel. Go ahead, Gil. I'm writing it down. Wait a minute. Why can't you just... A new panel the... bolts onto the body, only it's all rusted away over here and it won't hold. So, we need a new body. <laughs> Look, Fred, all I want frame you to do... Frame won't take a new body. It's too light. New frame, chassis, rear assembly, transmission. You got it? You got it. New crankshaft, flywheel, feed line... Mr. Gilhouse. Connecting rods, clutch, camshaft... Mr. Gilhouse. New springs, muffler, exhaust, shocks, bumpers... Mr. Gilhouse. Horn's all right. <laughs> Mr. Gilhausen, forget about the whole thing, will you? Just fix the wire in the distributor and I'll be happy. Mr. Anderson, look. Lift the hood, will you, Fred? Okay. Thanks, Fred. <laughs> now, you see that wire, Mr. Anderson? It goes down there and hooks onto that. 
but it can't because it's loose. Hey, you see this? You got a cracked block, the water pump's broke, the radiator leaks, the piston assembly's shot, the valves are gone. You got to get a new motor. <laughs> Just because you can't hook up one little wire, huh? What am I going to hook it on? <laughs> Jim, we're trying to help you, and with a job this big, we'll give you a special rate. Well, that's more like it. Uh, what does it come to? Uh, the whole thing? With a paint job. You want me anymore, Fred? Uh, no, thanks a lot, Gil. Okay. See you later, Mr. Anderson. You bet. Go ahead, Fred. Figure it up. And uh, sharpen your pencil. Well, uh, let me see. 1538, 296, 496. Uh, the whole thing, including labor and parts, comes to exactly sixteen hundred and seventy-eight dollars. <laughs> Sixty. That's fifteen dollars more than a new one. Jim, this is all on a piecework basis, and besides, with seat covers, you'll have a car that's practically new. Sixteen hundred. Margaret! Well, I told you in the very beginning, Jim. Margaret! Jim, is anything wrong? $1,600. It's an outrage. That's what it is, an outrage. Well, you think it over, Jim, and whatever you decide, just let me know. $1,678. That's the most outrageous thing I've ever heard in my life. What did he say, Dad? Is it going to be blue, Father? Yes, the man let me shoot the grease gun. All right, get in. We're going home. Aren't you going to have it fixed? I said get in. All right, children, let's not argue. Do as your father says. I'll get another mechanic. That's what I'll do. Haney isn't the only dealer in Springfield. Tell me my car isn't any good. $1,678. Dear, don't you think if you talk to Mr. Haney again... Haney? He's a worse crook than Gilhausen ever was. (laughs) He's ten times as bad. Somebody will fix this car and it'll be good for another 12 years. And another 140,000 miles. Oh, Father. Have you heard of the wonderful one-horse shay that was built in such a logical way it ran a hundred years to a day? Well, we're sitting in it right now. A hundred years? Holy cow, Dad. This car's as sound as it was the day we bought it. It's a good car, solid and sturdy. I'll put on a fender, get a little paint, a few tires. (laughs) What was that? Another fender fell off. Well, we'll put it back on. Dad. Father! Jim, we've just got to get a new car. Fred! Fred! Oh, Fred! You see, of course, if you're not a dunce, how it went to pieces all at once. All at once and nothing first, just as bubbles do when they burst. End of the wonderful one-horse shade. Logic is logic. That's all I say.
Ladies and gentlemen, this is Robert Young. Since the beginning of this year, as you probably know, we on Father Knows Best have been working hand in glove with the Inter-Industry Highway Safety Committee. Our particular phase of the overall problem was the enlistment of teenagers and their parents in a good driver's club. And now, after five months of campaigning, we'd like to make our first report. And for all those connected with the safety movement, we have news I consider little short of miraculous. Since the inception of this campaign, two and three-quarter million pledges have been requested by the teenage drivers of America. Think of it, two and three-quarter million. In large cities, in small hamlets, the young men and women of this country have proved beyond a shadow of a doubt the basic integrity of their generation. We are proud of them, prouder than we can say. By recognizing their common problem, by driving safely and carefully, these young men and women have brought added security to the highways and everlasting glory to themselves. We congratulate them on a job well done and ask only that they continue their good work in the future. Good night. us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargy and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned for Screen Guild Theater, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Thank you for listening, and thanks as well to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.